0: well good morning it's really great to be with you this morning i have been so blessed by the worship this morning so thank you for the invitation and i'm just honored to be able to bring the word this morning as steve mentioned earlier my name is amanda bankhausen and i am the director of safe church ministry for the christian reformed church and my office Uh, works to equip churches uh, in abuse prevention, awareness and response, and we're also working to foster a culture of what we call goodness in churches. Um, Now, the key word in what I said is we're working to equip or assist churches, and that means we come alongside congregations like yourself. So I guess I wanna say that just to let you know that if you um, have any questions about abuse prevention or ideas about abuse awareness or needs when it comes to abuse response, I really want you to feel like we're an office you can call who will come alongside you and help you work through those things. Um, you can contact my office, you can find us on the website, or you can email us at safechurchministry@crcna.org. So safechurchministry, all one word, at crcna.org. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, even if you just want to chat, we're happy to <laughs> receive your call or uh, communication. So... Our word of God for this morning that we're gonna be looking at is Mark 5, 21 to 34. Mark 5, 21 to 34. So listen to the word of God this morning. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman who was there who had been was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and she had spent all she had yet instead of getting better she grew worse And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told her the whole truth. And he said to her, "Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." This is the word of the Lord. Well, when I was in seminary many, many moons ago, uh, one topic that frequently came up was what does it mean to be the church? And I don't mean what does it mean to go to church. I mean, what does it mean to be the people of God gathered together as the body of Christ in this place week in? week out? What defines or characterizes a faithful church, a true church, a church that as the gathering of God's people functions in the way that God intended the church to function? What defines a church as different from a book club or a fraternity or any other place that people gather to meet now the reasons why this question loomed large during the seminary that i attended at the time um, i'm not going to share with you this morning (laughs) but i will tell you that for 30 years now i have been thinking about that question what does it mean to be the church And so I'd like to actually invite all of you to join me in thinking about this question. What characterizes a faithful or true church? And because in my former life I was a teacher, uh, not a director of Safe Church, I'm actually gonna open it up to all of you for a moment. What do you think characterizes a faithful or a true church? Praying people, okay, good. Yeah, prayer. Your Loving your neighbors, okay, good. Sorry, what was? Christ-centered. Christ-centered, okay, yeah, excellent. And I saw a hand over here. Missionary work. Missionary work, yeah, that was the stickler when I went to seminary, whether missionary work was considered part of the true church or not. We could talk later. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, all of those things are part of what we think of when we think of a true church. Well, one characteristic or quality that I'd like to suggest for you this morning is that a church um, that is faithful and true is a place that fosters spiritual healing. Or another way to think of this is that it is a place that fosters reconciliation with God and reconciliation with others. And we heard that in the love others. Um, That we come here to meet God in this place, not just to um, foster our own personal relationship with God, but that we exist as a community to come alongside each other, right? That we meet with each other, for the purpose of building each other up in faith. Now I imagine that some of you are thinking, well, that doesn't seem so radical, that seems pretty obvious, that the church should be a place where people experience reconciliation with God and reconciliation with others and that we should all be part of that. But unfortunately, um, the truth is that for too many churches and for too many people, Uh, The church is not a place of spiritual healing and reconciliation, but instead has become a place of harm. Not a week goes by when there isn't another news story about abuse in the church, sexual abuse to be sure, but also emotional and spiritual abuse. Not a week goes by when my office doesn't receive calls from members of congregations in our denomination. Uh, People who are on their way out, they're leaving the church because they feel battered and bruised by the church. So that instead of being reoriented toward God, they are left disoriented and disconnected by their participation in the church. And they call my office just to let me know, just as to have someone who can hear their story. And so all of this raises the question, who do we want to be as people of God? Who do we want to be for each other? What does it mean not just to come to church, but to be church? And how do we support each other in our journeys of faith? And so to begin to answer these questions, I want us to consider this passage we read this morning in Mark. To reflect on the ministry and work of Jesus, and to use the ministry and work of Jesus as something as of a model for ourselves in terms of what we might think the church could and should be. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, the cornerstone on whom the church is built. Jesus, the one whose life and death and resurrection the church proclaims. What would a church patterned after and in the spirit Of Christ's ministry look like. Now in the telling of this story as we read it this morning, the narrator depicts Jesus as surrounded by a large crowd, and there are a lot of people trying to get his attention. But at one point, a very important man a synagogue leader, he comes forward, and he rather brazenly pushes his way through the crowd. At least that's how I imagine how this happened. Uh, Pushes his way through the crowd to assume an audience with Jesus. Now, I imagine that someone like Jairus is used to acting rather authoritatively and decisively. He's used to getting what he wants. He's used to being respected, maybe even a little feared. And given the urgency of his mission to implore Jesus to heal his ailing daughter, my guess is that he thought nothing of sort of moving to the head of the line to see Jesus. And seeing his agitation and concern, Jesus responds affirmatively to Jairus, agreeing to go with Jairus to his home. But then on the way, This woman, who's not important enough or well-known enough to even be given a name, touches Jesus' cloak, and she is healed. And Jesus stops dead in his tracks and looks around for the person who touched him which is interesting because the crowd has been pushing up against him all afternoon and the disciples point this out to Jesus and say to him, you know, why are you looking around? Obviously, lots of people have touched you. And why would you be turning your attention away from this very important man, this Jairus and his daughter, to concern yourself with this? But Jesus stops and he refuses refuses to go on without knowing who touched him. And it is not until the woman comes forward and tells her story. It is not until Jesus has had an opportunity to interact with this woman and bless her. It's not until he's had an opportunity to interact with this woman who is not named and acknowledge her suffering, as well as her dignity and her value, that he turns his gaze back to Jairus and the situation at hand. And that's the story. It's a story that's found in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And all three of the gospel writers must have thought it was important enough to recount. Now, I'm sure many of us have heard this story before. It's often preached as a lesson of faith. What does faith look like? And rightly so, because in this context, the woman becomes a model for faith. But this morning, I want to reflect on this story in terms of what we see in Jesus. What does Jesus do in this story? And how does that reflect his priorities for the ministry of the gospel? In other words, what can Jesus in his interaction with this woman teach us about being the church? So let me just make a few observations. Jesus is busy. There are a lot of people that want his attention, his time, his consideration. Moreover, he is sent to this earth uh, to fulfill a mission. And that is to call people back to himself. And he knows he has limited time to proclaim in word and in deed that the kingdom of God has come in him. And it's a big job. Which means strategically, Jesus would be well served to get a few influential people on his side. He'd be well served to attend to those with power and money to help him further his cause. But instead, he pauses to notice someone who regularly goes unnoticed, whose life is spent trying not to take up too much space in this world, who is, at this point, poor. She spent all her savings on trying to get well. She's weak. She's quite likely not much to look at. Mark tells us that she has suffered from her disorder for 12 years and has lost all hope of getting better. And yet it's so striking, right, that there is something inside her that is still attuned to the image of God in her, something that convinces her that she is a person of value and worth. And so she takes this audacious risk. She shows up to the place where she might be able to find life and healing. And she doesn't ask for much. She doesn't ask for attention or time. She just wants to get close enough to touch Jesus's cloak. Still, it's a bold move, isn't it? For someone who has no standing in the community, not even a name. And my guess is that it took all the courage she had, all the courage she could muster, just to even be there that day. But Jesus' response to the woman is telling. He honors the risk she took he honors her desire for healing for life he honors her value and her worth as an image bearer of god and he does all this simply by pausing to notice her and not just momentarily but he actually waits until she is ready to come forward and reveal herself. And he refuses to continue on with Jairus until he has connected with this woman. What seems clear is that for Jesus, this woman and her well-being are important. This woman and her well-being are just as important as the religious leader, Jairus. And my guess is that that in and of itself was profoundly powerful in bringing healing to that woman, to be regarded as a person of dignity and value and worth. Second thing I want us to notice is that in addition to waiting Jesus listens. He gives this woman his undivided attention as she tells her story. It says she tells her truth or the truth. Nothing is more important to Jesus in that moment than knowing what happened to her. Now what strikes me about the phrasing of that is that uh, Jesus' approach here to the woman actually seems to resonate pretty closely with what we're learning about in terms of how to minister to and care for those who have experienced trauma. Trauma Trauma-informed specialists note that in caring for and helping those who have experienced trauma, Instead of asking what's wrong with you, which causes a person to feel shame and feel small because somehow they are wrong, trauma-informed specialists suggest that we should ask, what happened to you? And what's more, what's strong with you? The first question, what happened to you, expresses interest in the person and invites them to share their story. And Jesus does this for the woman, focusing not on what's wrong with her, but what happened to her. What is her journey? What is her story that brings her to that place in that crowd that day? The second question, what's strong with you, gives a person who has experienced trauma an opportunity to identify their own resilience and grit and to be reminded of all the ways in which they have already been brave and have fought for life and for dignity and for value and for flourishing. It gives them an opportunity to not feel like complete failures or castoffs. In the case of the woman, Jesus does this when he suggests that it is her faith that has healed her. He honors in that moment the risk that she took to be present in that crowd, the risk she took to believe that touching Jesus' cloak would make any difference, the risk she took in believing that her life mattered, the risk she took in showing up. And in these ways, Jesus cared for this unnamed, sick, poor woman, and he humanized her and communicated to her that she mattered. The last observation I want to make is that Jesus advocated for her. Even when the disciples were ready to move on, to get on with what they deemed more important work, Jesus insisted that this woman, her life, her story, her truth, her healing, was exactly what he needed to be attending to in that moment. This wasn't superfluous to his work of preaching and teaching the gospel, it was central to it. This moment with this woman is precisely what Jesus came to do, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim recovery of sight to the the blind and setting the oppressed free. Now we know the larger story of the disciples, so we know that probably for the disciples this seemed like a really small thing that Jesus was doing, perhaps even the wrong thing. But to the woman, my guess is that Jesus' attention, Jesus' empathy and care in that moment were everything. Jesus changed her life, healing not only her body, but I imagine her spirit. And isn't that what we as church are to be about? To be a place where people can come and meet the great healer, Jesus, who renews and revives our spirits taking our burdens unto himself and infusing us with new life? Aren't we to be that community where people encounter Jesus in that way, not just because God's Spirit is here, but through God's Spirit at work in each of us? Which makes me wonder, how can we be a church like that? How can we be a church that creates the conditions where people can experience that kind of healing, that spiritual healing and that reconciliation with God and with others? What can we learn from Jesus in this story about what we can be to each other? How can we, as a community of faith, support each other in this journey of Jesus' healing in our lives. I think it means following in the footsteps of Jesus. Taking time to notice who is in our midst, even and perhaps especially those who are outside the regular circles of power and influence, who are not well-known and not well-enfolded, who wonder if they really belong here, to take the time to get to know their stories, their truth, so that they know that their voice and their life matters. Perhaps it means recognizing that we live in a world that often leaves people battered and bruised that at times people are going to enter into this space when they're not okay, when not everything is well. And how do we, as the people of God, say that's okay, you belong here? This is a place where even when you're not okay, you will experience love and respect and care that this is a community that that will take the what happened to you seriously. Perhaps it means listening, really listening, to each other with a curiosity and a wonder, wondering not just about what another person is not, but cherishing who and what they are. What in them is strong? And how God's goodness and grace will yet be made evident in their life. And finally, perhaps it means becoming communities that are intentional about protecting the value of each and every person, of ensuring that each person's dignity is upheld from the greatest to the least, from the richest to the poor, from the seemingly most significant to the seemingly least significant. Perhaps it means becoming a place where every person that walks in this building knows that they matter here because they matter to God. I recently went to a health clinic uh, to do a blood draw. Uh, my doctor had asked me to do that. I wanted to check up on some things. And I saw a sign when I was checking in that gave me pause. It said, this is a place of healing. Patients, visitors, and staff are to be treated with respect at all times. And then it listed some cardinal rules of respect, which included no rude, insulting, or abusive language, no physical or verbal threats, no offensive language or behavior, no unwanted physical contact of any kind, no harassment or intimidation. Now, you may be thinking, wow, Um, what kind of world do we live in that we actually have to state that explicitly? But I can tell you, sitting in my office, we live in a kind of world where we actually need to state that explicitly. And as I saw this sign, I thought, this is such a great image for what Christ's church is called to be. A place of healing, a place where it is safe to come as we are, weary and worn and sad, a place and a place where we can leave feeling just a little more seen and a little more loved and a little more human. A place where we come to be held in the arms of God and held in the arms of the community of faith that sustains us with love and care. So my prayer is that by the power of the Spirit who draws us to himself to make us more and more like Jesus, that our congregations would begin to look more and more like the ministry and priorities that Jesus had for his own ministry. That all our congregations would become places of healing, and reconciliation. Pray with me. O Lord God, who loved us so much that you gave your life for us, who pursued us in our sin and in our brokenness to draw us back to yourself, who nurtures and cares for us as your people, may we be that for others. May we be channels of your love and your peace, that you may be known as a God of healing and of grace, a God who calls us to rest our weary souls in you. In the power of the Spirit who is making all things new, we pray, amen.